Okay, so we are able to basically, from a financial standpoint, continue to raise our child or raise our children, even if we're not around to do it. Do you know what will happen to your loved ones when something happens to you? If you don't know the answer or don't like the answer, then this is the show for you. Listen up as we teach you about protecting your family legacy through better estate planning. Our family is here to protect yours. So welcome to the Complete Estate Planning Podcast with attorney Nick Rosenbauer. And here's your host, Ben George. Glad to have you back on Complete Estate Planning, the podcast that goes over every aspect of estate planning and really, not really just to make you comfortable and make sure you're comfortable, but also make sure the loved ones that you care about in your life never have to worry. And that's why today we're talking about probate. We're going to continue the discussion we had a couple episodes ago. We talked about the five steps of the probate process. Well, if you listen to that episode, and if you haven't, go back and check it out. You can find it online at CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. But if you listen to that, you probably came away like I did with the idea that, hey, I got to avoid probate. That's my goal. That's my number one goal. So today we're going to tell you about the ways that you can avoid probate so you don't get stuck in that process because it can be time consuming, it can be expensive, and it's not the ideal way to uh, to leave things for your family. So we do that as always with Nick Rosenbauer. He is a state planning attorney and owner at Rosenbauer Law Office. Nick, so how are you doing, man? How are things uh, with you and the family and, and, and in Ohio right now? Are, are things starting to settle back down to get back to normal a little bit at all? We're headed in that direction. Um, so our governor um, in the last week has created a, a plan to you know, kind of cautiously or responsibly uh, start to open Ohio back up, which I think is good. Obviously, you know, I, I think it's a bad idea to just go from zero to 60 and back to zero. So hopefully uh, uh, they have it in phases and kind of, you know, here's what day you can get elective surgeries and things like that. One of the things uh, with, with retail and things of that nature, they have something coming up pretty soon in the next few weeks where hair salons, um, gyms, um, beauty parlors, massage places, things like that are scheduled to open back up with limitations. And I think another big one is they're talking about reopening restaurants. First with outdoor seating. Um, that's actually coming up in about a week from now when we're recording this, which is the beginning of, of May. And then in a couple weeks, there the plan is at least to reopen indoor uh, seating inside restaurants, obviously at a, at a reduced capacity. So we have things on the calendar for moving towards uh, normalcy. I think that's good. I think it's good to be optimistic. I think everyone could use something to look forward to. I don't know about you. I certainly could. I guess we'll see if it works and we'll see if we can open things up and, you know, poke our heads back outside and if things go okay or not. So that's that's kind of what we're dealing with uh, right now. And I think the rest of the country is looking that way or they have a plan similar to that. Maybe they're a little behind or ahead of schedule of us. But from what I understand, everyone's at least, um, you know, pulling out their calendar uh, about when when new things can open back up. So you're one step closer to getting that steak dinner that you've been waiting for, right? Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> um, my wife, uh, since she's been working at home, she uh, uh, sometimes she'll take her lunch break in the early afternoon when my son's napping. And sometimes she'll watch the news or something like that. And she 
texts me. She'll take a picture of the TV. Um, and she did that the other day about the restaurants and the salons and things like that. And she said, I'm getting a massage. The very first appointment, the very first day it's opening. We both need haircuts really bad. Although my wife actually cut my hair a couple weeks ago and it was getting so bad. I said, let's cut it on a Thursday night. So that way, if it's bad, I have the weekend for it to grow back. <laughs> but uh, my birthday is at the end of May. And our goal is to go out for a nice, uh, a nice dinner the end of May. That's going to be fun. Uh you got to do what you got to do right now. We're all figuring out ways to get uh, a little crafty with uh, with life experience and, and what we're trying to pull off. But yeah, that's uh, it's about all you can do right now uh, is just make the best of the situation. So, well, let's get into our, our conversation today and talk about probate and ways to avoid it. Because last time we talked, we talked about, you know, the different steps of probate was the biggest the biggest point that we wanted to kind of get through and kind of walk you through how that process works. Because we've we, a lot of us have heard about it, but many of us have not gone through that process. And, you know, if you haven't gone through that process, you aren't aware of the time it takes. You aren't aware of uh, the cost it might, it might uh, bring to your bank account when you're going through it. So first off, you don't have to listen to the last episode to actually enjoy this one and understand it, but it will help to give you some context while we're having this discussion. If you go back to episode seven, check out the five steps of the probate process. You can find that at CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. But today we want to focus on how to avoid it. So just a kind of a quick recap of of those steps. You got you have to open the probate. You have to appoint an executor, administrator. You got to inventory the estate. You got the accounting and distribution process. And then you got to close the estate. So all that, as you said, Nick, can take anywhere to what you know six months, a couple of years. Is that right? Right. And, and technically, for normal situations, six months is the minimum because by law creditors, so people that the deceased person or the estate may owe money to, they have six months to basically come forward and and, and say that uh, the estate owes them money. So it's, a, it's okay. a minimum of six months for a full probate estate. So even if everyone is on board and everyone has their paperwork, heck, if it's my next door neighbor, and we can get everything done hunky-dory right away. It is still a minimum of six months. I would say on average, I tell my clients a year is what you should expect, maybe a year and a half. But again, there's extremes on both on both ends of the spectrum. But uh, it's not quick. That's that's probably the point here. Right. So that's the first thing is you're going to commit a lot of time to go through this process. The other part of this is is cost. And I wasn't aware really of the cost associated with the lawyer fees. And, and, and I understand the attorney fees are going to be high, but you know, for the work that a lot of attorneys are doing with this, and there's some time commitment, and obviously I'm not taking anything away from what the attorney's role in this process is, but you have to give up quite a bit of your estate when you go through this process. Uh, that's right. It's not cheap, and it's definitely not free. Now, the the probate fees here in Ohio are based, there's a guideline fee schedule um, that is pretty much the same throughout all of Ohio, and it's based off of the gross value of the estate. And when I say gross value, um, I mean the value of all the assets without deducting any bills or any debt. So as an example, if there is a $200,000 house with a $150,000 mortgage, the net value of the estate, so what it's actually worth after everything's paid off, there's only $50,000 left. 
but the gross value of the estate. So if we take away all the debt, the value of that house is 200000 So it may seem unfair, but apart from the fee schedule being what it is, it doesn't matter if there's any debt. So I would charge based on a $200,000 estate, even if there's only $50,000 left at the end. That's pretty significant. I mean, by the time you get down to it, I mean, you're talking, what, almost 20% uh, in, in that specific scenario. So that's the other part of it, costs and time. So those are the two two big reasons kind of takeaways from that episode of why you don't really want to get stuck in probate if you can. So let's talk about the ways you can avoid it. That's the fee, the focus of this episode. We've got a few different ways you can get through it. A couple of them are the right way, I guess you could say, Nick, and a couple of them are the wrong way. So let's start with a couple of the, the wrong way or the risky way to do things. And the first one is your beneficiary uh, or transfer on death designations. Explain that one to me. That's correct. So there are a number of different ways to avoid or bypass the probate process. And it probably sounds weird. I'd like to back up for a second. The wrong way to avoid probate, as if I'm saying we need to jump into probate and suddenly that's a good thing. Probate is usually not a good thing. There are certain rare instances when it is. But when we say right and wrong way, I think what you said about risky ways, so to speak, is probably the better way to look at it. So the the first one you mentioned, a beneficiary designation or a transfer on death or pay on death, TOD or POD for short, um, what those are is those are contracts or specific agreements between the owner of the account and the company, the bank, the brokerage house, uh, whomever. So it's an agreement. We'll use myself for an example. If I have a, a bank account at Chase Bank, I make an agreement with Chase that when I die, Chase will distribute the money. It will transfer on death, so to speak, to my wife, for example. And then just as a reminder, obviously, the probate court has to deal with any assets that are stuck in the name of a deceased person uh, after they pass away, and there's no way to move them. So this would avoid probate process. Obviously, if I die tomorrow and there is an agreement with Chase Bank to give this money to my wife when I pass away, obviously she would have to prove that I'm dead with a death certificate, the asset would not be stuck, okay? It would be transferred to her the end. So yes, technically that would avoid probate court. Why is that risky? Well, number one, what if she's in the car with me uh, when I pass, okay? And it says transfer on death to Alicia, and Alicia's not around too. Okay, that doesn't work very well all of a sudden. A lot of these uh, things are limited. Now it depends on the type of account. Generally, retirement accounts will have more options. You can name multiple levels of beneficiaries. You can normally name a backup right. beneficiary or a contingent or successor beneficiary. That's better. It's still not great um, for a number of reasons. Like I said, the first one being what if the person or the people that you name as beneficiaries are not around? That becomes a problem. The second one is what would happen if you did not desire to give them all of that money all at one time? Could be a number of reasons, okay? If I made my son as the transfer on death beneficiary, he's one. Okay, so that won't work very well. He's not even legally allowed to own money. So someone has to 
supervise that for the next 17 years. Okay, Chase Bank will not turn money over to a one-year-old. They can't. Okay, so that doesn't work out very well. And let's say my son's 18, and let's say it's a, a million-dollar life insurance policy. I, I would love a nice 18-year-old birthday present for him. I don't know if a million-dollar check uh, right after he lost uh, his parents and he's getting ready to go to college. I don't know if that's a great idea. So you're very limited. So if it works, it doesn't always work well. So that's the risk there. Um, okay. So if the right people are still around, you have to decide if the ready or not, here I come uh, scenario sounds good. And sometimes it does. Okay. It doesn't always fail. When I'm 80 years old and my son is 50, if he have his, has his life together, I don't care at that point. So as long as he's around, that can work. So I'm not saying it never works, okay, because sometimes it does. But there are a number of unlocked doors uh, where it can fall flat, if that makes sense. Yeah, things aren't necessarily going to go smoothly, uh, in other words. And, and it might not go to the person you want it to necessarily if, you know. Both your if your beneficiary is not around when that happens, so something to consider there. The second one, which is also another kind of risky situation, is co ownership. So talk to me about co ownership and what that is. Exactly, exactly right, Ben. So the risks are exactly the same as before, and the objection that I will get here is typically husband and wife come into my office. They say, "Well, the bank accounts are in both of our names." And the house is in both of our names. So if something happens to one of us, the other one will keep it. Well, you know, so they will they will own the entire thing by themselves. And this is similar to a beneficiary in that it is a deal that I work out with Chase Bank or whomever. So the, the bank account says Nick and Alicia Rosenbauer own it. And hopefully it says if something happens to one of us, it stays with the survivor. Okay. Now, that doesn't always work the way people think it does. Unfortunately, I have a situation right now um, where I had to deal with probating a deceased wife's one half of a house that she co-owned with her husband. So my uh, client husband and wife purchase a house, and they were married at the time they purchased it. So it was not a situation where they... They purchase it while they're dating, and then they get married later, and they don't update things. That happens too. But everything seemed to be in good shape. The wife ends up passing away, unfortunately, and we look through things, make sure everything looks okay. And then about four months later, I get a frantic call from the husband. Um, he was trying to sell the house, and they were ready to go. Um, there was an offer. It was accepted. A closing date had happened. And the closing date was scheduled to be three days after the call. And he calls me saying, Nick, uh, we, we're supposed to close in three days. The title agency is being difficult. And they want me to probate my wife's half of the house before they allow me to sell it. I cannot make that up. Now, it turns out... Um, in this instance, the attorney who prepared the deed before uh, left a couple words off of it, so it was unclear on a couple things. Still should have been okay. The title agency was being super difficult, 
they just, you know, they, they were just basically saying, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to think on our own. And this, this doesn't happen very often, but that's what we're dealing with. Um, so that's a problem. And it's not to, the problem with co-ownership, a couple things. One, people think they have this sense of security when it doesn't always work that way. It depends on the type of co-ownership. Okay. And it depends on if that agreement says when one spouse dies or one owner dies, doesn't matter if they're married or not, the other owner gets everything if it all vests in the survivor. And that does not always happen. Okay. Second off, we talk about um, if we're, if this is an inheritance play, so we're talking about leaving it to children or something like that, we still have the risks before of a situation where is it a good idea if it's a $200,000 checking account, is it a good idea for my 18-year-old son who I put on as the co-owner to get all that money? It may, it may not, I don't know. Third, the co-ownership, basically they co-own it right now, okay? So it's not even a beneficiary where you have to wait until dad dies before you can own it. You're a co-owner right now. For husband and wife, it's usually okay, but uh, I have a number of situations where clients will put one of their children on the bank account with them, not knowing that, and obviously this doesn't happen much, but the children can clean that account out. That's as much theirs as it is mom and dad's at that point. Hmm. Okay. And yeah. if they, it's not even stealing. I was about to say if they steal it, but if they take it, there's nothing they can do about it. Right. Too bad. Also, what if the co-owner gets in some trouble of their own car accident? They get sued, they declare bankruptcy, they get divorced. All of a sudden, mom or dad's money is considered their money to the lawsuit or to the divorce. Another thing to think about is, you know, maybe, for example, uh, you and your wife say, we'll make sure the house and the bank accounts are in co-ownership. And if something happens to one of us, the surviving spouse can keep everything. That's okay. Well, what happens if you're both in the car together? Right. Now what? Okay, so there, there's no backup plan for that. So those are the risks with co-ownership. They're they're similar to the risks with a beneficiary or a transfer on death or pay on death. But you also run the extra liability risks while the co-owners are alive, and you also run the risk of what if both co-owners pass away together. Right. Well, you might be listening and saying, okay, well, we're trying to avoid probate here, and you're not giving me many reasons why I can do it comfortably, but there is one way. There is one way to avoid it for sure, and that's setting up that living trust document. And we, and if you want to know the difference between a living trust and a will, you can either go to uh, Nick's website, CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. He's got a blog on there, some great information there as well. Or you go back on the podcast, a few episodes, we did an episode specifically on that topic, explaining the two. But- Living trust, that is the answer, right? If you want to have the safest way. And is it, is it guaranteed, Nick, to help you avoid probate? If it's done correctly and we dot all the I's and cross all of the T's, okay. then yes. And I'll tell you why. Because we line, when you use a trust, if everything's done properly, this asset, this house, this account, what have you, we have it lined up to be governed by or controlled by the trust. And so whatever the trust says, as far as who gets it, who gets it if the person who's supposed to receive it is not around, um, how they get it, uh, safeguards, when they can get it, et cetera, et cetera, that is all built into the trust if you do it right. So a trust um, should have all of the what-ifs 
all of the who's, the what's, the where's, the why's, the when's, and the how's built into it if it's done properly. So if the, the trust is done properly, you have it set up to where you decide who gets it, you decide the backups. So our trust is set up for my son, obviously. But we also have in our trust, it's set up to say, if my son's not around, here's who gets it. And if the backups aren't around, here's who gets it. And if the backup backups aren't around, here's who gets it. Okay, so all of the contingencies, all of the what ifs, all of the disaster plans are built in. Also, we have the protections in place for my son. So the trust specifically says we don't give the house to a one-year-old. Okay. Um, so we have it set up to where, you know, the assets could be used for his benefit in whatever way we decide. And then when we decide he is old enough, in our case, part of the money is distributed at age 25, the rest of it's distributed at age 30. Here's how it is given to him. Okay. So we are able to basically, from a financial standpoint, continue to raise our child or raise our children, even if we're not around to do it. And so all of the risks that we talked about are gone. My son is not a co-owner right now, so I don't need to worry about him getting in trouble, if that makes sense, um, and his problems becoming problems for myself or my assets. That's not an issue. There's no issue of whether or not the ready or not, here I come, here comes everything on your 18th birthday is good or bad. Trust takes care of it. Also, what if my wife and I are in the car together, or if my wife, my son, and I are in the car together, who are the backup recipients or beneficiaries, and how does that look? That's all taken care of as well, okay? So if you do it right, and you line up your assets with the trust, and the trust has the right what-ifs built into it, that should take care of all of it, if that makes sense, and you should be able to really avoid all of these issues we talked about. Yeah, it does make sense. And that's good to know. And it gives you some peace of mind too, when you're uh, leaving that money off to someone, you know, it's going to go where it needs to. So if somebody now hears this and, and they're considering you know, setting up that trust, Nick, what's that step to take? And, and how does that process work with you? Well, so if someone is interested in learning more about this and maybe walking through their situation and seeing if uh, what their plan is uh, that's in place right now, if that makes sense, if maybe a trust makes sense, or if they just have some questions about this, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, office number is 513-463-6789. You can also visit our website, CincinnatiEstatePlan.com, and you can either reach out to us via email. There's a contact us page. And honestly, one of the things that we have done, and I guess the COVID uh, crisis has caused us to do, is update our technology. So on the contact page of our website, there's now a link to my calendar, and you can click a button right there and schedule a 15-minute call with me um, whenever's convenient for you. So we can look right there, see what uh, you prefer, schedule a quick call to me. And, uh, we'll, and, and we'll talk about it over the phone, see if there's any way that I can help you answer any questions that you might have. Very good. So very easy process to, to go through. And it's well worth your time as if you, you you would know by listening to this this conversation, our last conversation on probate itself and how that process works, that it's well worth your time to sit down, set up a trust, 
that will give you the control that you want over your assets and your estate. So, uh, Nick, very good conversation. I hope uh, things begin to ease up for you guys and and we get closer to that steak dinner for you and the, and the wife at the end of the month, hopefully. Oh boy, I hope so too, Ben. And uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you're ready to get out of the house and and maybe have a nice uh, have a nice sit down dinner as well. Um, so I uh, hope uh, hope everything goes okay uh, for you. Hope you stay safe as well. And hopefully uh, next time we're talking, uh, we're laughing about this and things are back to normal. I hope so as well. And we uh, we wish the same on all of you listening as well. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too, so you'll get the, the new episode delivered right to you. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to your podcast, you can, you'll can you find us there as well. But also every episode is, is archived right there on CincinnatiEstatePlan.com along with a bunch of other tremendous estate planning resources for you. So for Nick Rosenbauer, I am Ben George. We will talk to you again on the next episode of Complete Estate Planning. The Complete Estate Planning Podcast is brought to you by the Rosenbauer Law Office, based in Westchester, Ohio, and serving the entire Cincinnati area. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Complete Estate Planning with Nick Rosenbauer to find us or visit CincinnatiEstatePlan.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Nick, and to learn more about protecting your family legacy. That's CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. This show is for informational purposes only and does not provide any legal advice. Information on this show may not constitute the most up-to-date legal information. Please do not act or refrain from acting based solely on anything you hear on this show. This show does not form any attorney-client relationship with the Rosenbauer Law Office, LLC. Please seek the counsel of a qualified attorney before addressing your own estate planning needs.